Well, C.S. Lewis once said of Psalm 19, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's high praise for Psalm 19. Uh, Here is this psalm, this song, this poem, these lyrics of David. So together for the next few minutes, let's see what he has to say. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here is the silent voice of God. The heavens, the skies above us, they declare God's glory. Written in the sky is the extraordinary majesty and grandeur of God himself. His handiwork is proclaimed to us. It shouts at us, but only if we have ears to hear. I reckon all of us have had the experience of just the sheer wonder of the heavens. When stars can fill the night sky. Especially when we get that chance to get out of the city, to to be away from the city lights. And you can look up and it just takes your breath away. Or a sunrise or a breathtaking sunset. We think it's it's the most glorious thing that we will ever see and you try and take a photo of it and it's hopeless. It's just never the same, is it? For some reasons, our phones just can't capture the sheer grandeur, the depth of colour, that that take-your-breath-away feeling. And David says, the heavens are speaking. The skies are proclaiming. They are telling us a whole different story. We can marvel at the beauty, at the wonder, at the splendour in the creation, but we really ought to marvel at the creator. Verse 2. Day-to-day pours out speech, night-to-night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. There's a danger here, friends. The danger is that we can be deaf to the glorious music of creation that our great God plays for us every day. This creative symphony pours out speech and it reveals knowledge. God does this day after day after day and he does it to the ends of the earth, verse 4. And David reflects on the sun very poetically, verse 5. He he imagines it striding out from a tent, a a groom bursting out of a bedroom like a strong man who, who runs across the sky over the course of the day. It's unmissable and it's unmistakable and it's, it's far-reaching. Nothing can escape the light of the sun. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Just the sheer magnitude and scale of space does our heads in. It's beauty. It's size. It's predictability and it's unpredictability. And David is saying, look... Look, and look to the one who made it all. 
Now, David isn't laying down an evangelistic strategy for us. This isn't an apologetic proof for the existence of God. He's simply telling us to, to open our eyes and unstop our ears and listen to what is written in the skies. That our God is a God of glory, of beauty, of splendor. That God displays his glory in the heavens. The skies above declare just how extraordinary he is. But then in verse 7, it kind of seems like he shifts gears. It's almost like he starts an entirely different psalm. It takes us a bit by surprise. David takes us from the the jaw-dropping wonder of the heavens to, to what we are holding right now in our hands. I wonder if you've ever actually thought about that. What is this? At one level, this is a very human book. It's written over hundreds and thousands of years by, you know, between 30 and 40 human authors. It's really a collection, a library of 66 books. It's written in a whole bunch of different styles. There's laws and poems and history and wisdom and prophecy and biographies and letters and, um, and apocalyptic writings. We leave a pile of these up the back at, at the front door. A bunch of us bring our Bibles from home each week to church. Others have it on apps on our phones or we look it up online. Some of us prefer different translations. Some of us read it side by side with the biblical languages, Hebrew and Greek. Others of us like to read it with English on one side, side by side with our native tongue. At one level, it's easy to read and understand. There's no secret code. There's no secret writings to be interpreted, interpreted by special priests. We can actually hold it in our hands and read it. It's very human. Mine's written in English. It's printed on paper. It's bound with leather, sold by a publishing company, company and delivered by Amazon. <laughs> it's all very human, isn't it? And yet at the same time, it is completely divine. This is a holy Bible. It's special. It's set apart. There is no book in the world like it. It has one divine author. It contains just one grand and sweeping story through history. It is a book for every generation of every tribe and people and language. This book that we hold in our hands, it is God-breathed. Those 66 books, they are all inspired by God himself. And David's saying, and here he shifts gears, here comes the surprise, he's saying, you have gazed into the night sky and you've seen the sun with all its glory and you've been captivated by the glory and the splendour and the beauty and the majesty and he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. That there is something actually more magnificent, there is something even more glorious, something even more precious than all that God has made. And it's in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether see he moves from god's world to god's word 
and David describes it in a whole bunch of different ways. Yes, the sun and the moon and the stars, they declare the glory of God, but, but this book, he says, this declares God's will and God's purposes. And it takes him just six lines. Six lines, six descriptions of this word from God, six adjectives that pick up what God's word is like. Six times he picks up an expression to describe what God's word does. The law of the Lord to start with. It's more than just law. We, we read verse 7, we think automatically it's like legal categories. But the law is so much more than that. It really means, you know, instruction and guidance. He's saying this. He's saying here is a word from God that means we don't need to be living in darkness. We don't need to be kind of scrambling about unsure of how to live, unsure of who God is, unsure of our place in God's world. Here is instruction and guidance from the one who made it all. He says also in verse 7, it's the testimony of the Lord. It is detailed and comprehensive. It is a witness to how God deals with us and how he has dealt with us. And verse 8, it is the precepts of the Lord's. The precepts or the statutes, they reveal God's mind to us. The one who created it all, the one who stands behind it all, the one who stands above it all, reveals himself to you and me. Then he describes God's word in the same verse, verse 8, as the commandment of the law. God just doesn't give us a bunch of ideas for us to kind of sit around and play with. These are not human ideas for us to treat lightly. This isn't philosophy for us to ponder and muse on. What we find in the pages of the Bible are commands of the God who made it all. In verse 9, the fear of the Lord, perhaps not a description this time of God's word, but the proper response to it. Where we can look at the skies, the night sky, the sunsets, the course of the moon and the path of the sun, and we all might respond in different ways. We might be in awe or we might feel small and insignificant or we might be brought to tears because of its sheer beauty. But when we hear the word of God, friends, when you hear what God has to say to humanity, what God has to say to you and what God says to me, well, then the right response to that is fear. Not terror, not to be scared, but we ought to tremble. Because the God of everything, the God of the universe, the God of glory, well, this God, he, he cares about me and actually cares about what I do and he cares about my life and he cares about how I conduct myself. Because, verse 9, that they are the rules of the Lord. God wants us to live his way. He knows what's best for us. He has made us and we are his. But scan your eyes back through those verses and look at this time at the adjectives. What is God's word like? Verse 7, it's perfect. In contrast with our world, our world is, is marred and scarred and broken and it's imperfect. The world cries out to us that all is not well and yet we can turn to the law of the Lord and see that it is perfect. And it is sure, it is trustworthy that the world has tragedies and disasters and floods and fires and is all falling apart. 
But this, friends, this is trustworthy. It is sure. You can build your life on this. And it's right. In a society where so much goes wrong, where there's wrong in relationships and wrong in equality and wrong in fairness, wrong in so many different ways, and yet God's word is right. We can actually open God's word, friends, and be confronted and corrected by what is right. And it is pure. It is radiant. It is clear and sincere. It shines light into the darkness of our lives. And it is pure. Our response to the world is often impure. It's greedy. It's selfish. But, but this, friends, this is a pure thing, untainted and clean and true. All this God has done for us in his word. His word is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true. But what does it do? What does God's word actually do for us? What does it actually do to us? Again, run through those, those verses. Well, firstly, it revives the soul. It brings us life, true and everlasting life. It, it makes wise the simple. It doesn't matter how sharp and intelligent we think we are. The word brings wisdom to our simple, created minds. And it rejoices our hearts. Our hearts are, are shaped and they are opened and they are softened and they are repaired and renewed. And our hearts rejoice at what God speaks to us. And it enlightens our eyes. By it, God's words open our eyes. By it, we see. We see everything. We see who God is and we see all that he has done for us. This word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our eyes. And it endures forever. This word is a word that is a word forever. It can't be done away with in a world of convenience and in a world that is disposable. This is a treasure forever. And it is altogether righteous. There is none like it, friends. And so if all this is true, then surely this must be the response that it invokes in us. Verse 10 more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. If this really is God's word to us, if this really is how God reveals himself to us, if this is how God speaks to us, then it needs to be treasured and it needs to be desired more than gold and jewellery and wealth and everything. And it is sweeter than honey. It is delicious. You can't stop having it because it's everything. God displays his glory in the heavens. The sky above declares just how extraordinary our God is. And yet this extraordinary God has given us his word and he has revealed himself to us. And he has revealed himself to us ultimately and especially in his son. As, as John says in John's Gospel, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word puts on flesh and walks among us as a man. The humans may indeed declare the glory of God, but the Word made flesh displays his glory like no other. The Word made flesh has the glory as the only Son of the Father. God revealing himself as a man full of grace and truth because in him is everything. And so Psalm 19, what do we do with this revelation from God himself? Well, verse 11, we are warned. God's word warns us. And then verse 11 again, in keeping them in the light of God's word, there is great reward from listening to God. In verse 12, we are shown our errors. Verse 13, we, are, we need to be kept from our presumptuous sins, which can have dominion over us. And yet through this word, we can be made blameless and innocent of great transgressions. And so he closes the psalm, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, throughout this whole psalm, he, David's moved from the, from the general to the special to the personal. He's moved from the skies above to, to what's uh, in our hands before us, to the very words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts. Our God, our great God, our Lord. He's our rock and our redeemer. Friends, may we never forget who he is. May we never tire of what he has done for us. May we ever treasure his word to us. And yet, friends, at this point, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. Because we're the Bible guys, aren't we? Of all the churches out there, you know, this is central to what we do. We're Presbyterians. We have a history with all this Bible stuff. You know, surely we, of all people, we are the ones who treasure God's word. We know all this stuff. And yet, friends, something is afoot. Sure, we might be the Bible guys. But 25 minutes on a Sunday morning? Do you really think that that's going to change you? We're kidding ourselves, aren't we, if we think like that? that we turn to God's word for 25 minutes on a Sunday, is that it? Is that really treasuring God's word? Is that really desiring it more than gold? Is that really sweeter than honey? And what's worse is this. The, the recent National Church Life Survey, the NCLS, shows us that in 2021, around one in five Australians, that's 21%, reported attending religious services frequently. And that, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That sounds pretty good that at least 21% of us are hearing God's word week in, week out, but that's until we realise this detail uh, in their footnotes. In 2021, around one in five Australians, 21%, reported attending religious services frequently. That is, at least monthly. Frequently, friends, is now once a month. And that's a pattern that we see playing out here at Salt Church once or twice a month. 
So sure, we might be the Bible guys. We might be a church where the Bible is at the centre of all that we do, but 25 minutes on a Sunday, and then even then, just once a month, that's 300 minutes in a year. That's five hours a year. Jesus wants us to be his disciples. Jesus wants us to be his followers. Jesus wants us to be his apprentices. He is our master and we are his apprentices. Can you really apprentice with Jesus with only five hours a year? Now, according to the Queensland government, a full-time apprentice, full-time trainee must work at least 38 hours a week. Full-time apprenticeships typically take three to four years. That's 7,296 hours of apprenticeship. Friends, would you trust a sparky who rocks up to your house to do some work with just five hours training? Of course not. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her then to help me but the Lord answered her Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. A lot of us are a little bit like Martha, distracted and tired and weary, distracted by much serving, anxious and troubled. And yet the answer isn't to double down and do more. The answer isn't to work harder. The answer isn't to do and do and do until you die. The answer is to be like Mary, The answer is to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's to be with Jesus. It's to listen to his teaching. Rather than being just the Bible guys, let's be apprentices of Jesus. Together, let's sit at the feet of our master. Early this year, during my time off, uh, this is what I did. I just sat at the feet of our master listening to his teaching. I made my way uh, slowly through the Gospels, but super slowly. Not just to tick a box, not to read chapter by chapter, but to re-meet Jesus. And friends, it revived my soul. I found Jesus to be tender and kind. I was confronted and I was challenged and my eyes were open and my heart was changed. As apprentices of Jesus, let's sit at the feet of our master this week. God displays his glory in the heavens. The sky above declares just how extraordinary he is. And yet this extraordinary God has given us his word. He has revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself to us ultimately and especially in his son, And so as followers of Jesus, let's treasure this word. Let's delight in it, let's desire it, let's savour it. It is sweeter than honey.
Because the law of the Lord is perfect, friends, reviving the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in his sight. Let's pray together, friends. Our great God, we thank you that you display your glory in the heavens. We thank you that the sky above proclaims your handiwork. Father, we thank you that your voice goes out through all the earth. We thank you for your majesty and power and splendor and beauty that we can see what you have created and marvel at the creator. But even more so, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that in your word you reveal yourself to us. You show us what you are like. You tell us who you are. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word that we can read it and understand it and by it you grow us to be more and more like your son. Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word but that you have revealed yourself to us ultimately and especially in the Lord Jesus. Father, help us not to show pride in our attitude towards the Bible to think that we are right because of the church that we're a part of, where the Bible's at the centre of what we do. But instead, help us to be like Mary. To sit at the feet of Jesus, our Master, to grow as his apprentices. Help us not to be like Martha and distracted by much serving and anxious and troubled. Thank you that we can be like Mary and listen to what Jesus has to say and grow in him. Father, do a deep work in us. Do a deep work in us so that we can treasure this word, that we can delight in it together. Grow our desire for it, knowing that it is sweeter than honey. Because in it we get to know you and know what you have done for us. We can meet a God of mercy and grace. And Father, we pray that as you continue to do this work in us, we do pray that indeed our words, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would indeed be acceptable in your sight. We pray all this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, just before the musos uh, come up, uh, 
I just wanted to make a, a bit of a personal announcement. Uh, friends, this is the last sermon that you'll hear from me uh, as one of your pastors. Uh, after more than 10 years as a pastor here at Salt Church, I'm going to be finishing up, possibly as soon as this coming Friday. Uh, unfortunately, with the, the downturn in our finances uh, here at Rabina, uh, in the light of some recent decisions made by our presbytery, uh, and combined uh, with the fact that our denomination's financial situation is still under a bit of a cloud with the receivership, uh, all this means uh, that at this stage, we as a church can't, uh, simply can't afford uh, two pastors. Uh, none of us wants this, uh, but we have to face reality and we've had to make some hard decisions. Uh, some of the details of my redundancy is going to take some time uh, to sort through, uh, but we wanted to kind of let you all know uh, that this is happening. Um, we're going to continue to remain here at SALT. I'm going to continue to, solve, uh, to serve sorry, as an elder on our session. Um, I'm really sad to be finishing up, uh, but I really uh, wanted to say a few things uh, before I do. Uh, firstly, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, thank you for the privilege it's been to serve you, to be freed up to serve as um, a pastor. Um, I'm so grateful for so many of you. Thanks, brother. I'm uh, so grateful for what many have done for, for me personally, but also for my family, for the way that you've given generously, serving humbly, for loving deeply, for laughing loudly. I have much to thank God for. Uh, thank you too for my family. Sorry, let me just... Sorry, thank you too for my family, especially to my kids, to Jed and Laura and Tim. Uh, you've had a front row seat for my ministry. You've seen the joys and the heartbreak. You've seen the sheer brutality of pastoral ministry firsthand. You've seen betrayal and hurt and some pretty ugly stuff, but I am so thankful for, to God that you have never, each of you, wavered in your trust in Jesus and that you're all continuing to grow in him. To my wife, Megan, Proverbs 31 asks, an excellent wife who can find, I can. I found you. I'm so thankful for you, for your love and support and encouragement in the good times and in the bad. And although we don't know what the future holds, we know that God's got this. And finally, to all of you, um, I just wanted to ask for your forgiveness. I'm sure over the years I've let you down. I'm not perfect. Uh, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm human. I'm not the Messiah. We've already got one of those. And so if I've hurt you or annoyed you or frustrated you or whatever it is, I apologise and I ask for your forgiveness. Uh, for the last few days, the, the lyrics of an old hymn have been rattling around my head uh, from May the Mind of Christ My Saviour. It's what the last verse says. It says, May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win and may they forget the channel, seeing only him. I really hope that my 10 years has a pastor here at Salt has been like that. As I've opened the scriptures for you and opened my heart to you all as well, I hope that you can forget this channel and see only him. We do. Uh, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. So why don't we just take a moment on that?
um, don't go anywhere, brother. We're going to pray for you in a minute. But that's, that's a lot to take in and we don't want to rush this. We actually want to sit in it for a minute. I'm certain that a number of us want to say thank you to you and to Megan and your family for your incredible service to us over a long period of time, for your faithfulness, for your courage, for your bravery, for your steadfastness, for our friendship together. For all these things, uh, we are very thankful Friends, this is not an easy decision, not one that's been made lightly, I assure you. Uh, And Chris was there too. We had a conversation of it, be him or me. Um, And uh, uh, I actually offered my resignation and Adam and Chris wouldn't accept it. So this is where we are. It's not where we want to be. But we are convinced as a leadership of the church that God is in this. That God has not abandoned us nor forsaken us that this is a moment in time for us to take stock, to see what it is that God has for us in the days ahead, but for us to really lean into him, into our king and our saviour in times like this, we know that uh, this isn't, again, like I said, what anybody wanted uh, or what uh, we, we would naturally think is a good or a great step forward, but we are trusting the Lord Jesus in this. And so I just want to lead us in prayer for Adam and for Megan and for us as a church. Uh, very thankful to God that Um, the Gregory's are not leaving us, that would be almost too much to bear. Uh, It would be too much to bear. I'm going to pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for Adam and for Megan and for Jed and Laura and Tim. And we thank you, Father, for the way in which you've called them to be pastors amongst us, examples and models of the gospel of grace. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that they have been exactly that. And even now, as... Adam stood before us and asked for forgiveness. Once again, we're seeing a man who models the gospel. Lord, we thank you for Adam and we thank you for the gifts that you've given him and we know that uh, while this moment in time is not one that anybody wanted or what we would even think to be a good step forward, we know that you're in this and we know that Adam's ministry among us and his ministry for you, Lord Jesus, hasn't finished. Just this moment has just this position. So we pray now that as we pivot, as we change direction again, as we see see what it is that you're doing, as we make this decision, one that's based on finances, that we would see that you are an incredible God who gives generously and provides abundantly, not just for the Gregories, but for us. Lord, we thank you that we are your people. And so we trust in you in these moments, this heavy moment upon us but we know that you're with us we know that you've not forsaken us that you've not left us we thank you that that comfort and strength is both Adam's and Megan's and their kids at this time and ours as well that you've not abandoned us nor forsaken us but you are very much with us so Lord Jesus would you comfort us by your presence would you fill us with your spirit Would you help us to grieve together well? But would you also help us to hope, to be a people of hope, who know that whatever you hold for the future, you hold us as well. And that the work that Jesus has accomplished will be ours to glory and delight in forever and ever. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.